Most of us can espouse our big-picture priorities, things like family, relationships, meaningful work, faith. But how do we actually balance those with the daily realities of hectic schedules? On this episode, a practical look at how to prioritize. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 545. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show helps you discover leadership wisdom through insightful conversations. One of the key skills that leaders need in almost every capacity, not only professionally, but also personally, is the ability to prioritize and to be able to prioritize well. And yet it is something that is an ongoing struggle for so many of us. I know it is for me. It's a constant practice. Today, I'm so glad to welcome a guest who helps so many leaders to do this well and will help us to take the next step on prioritizing effectively. I'm so pleased to introduce to you Christy Wright. She is a best-selling author, personal growth expert, and the host of The Christy Wright Show. She's also the founder of Business Boutique, which equips women to make money doing what they love. She loves helping women chase their version of success. She's the author of Take Back Your Time, The Guilt-Free Guide to Life Balance. Christy, what a pleasure to have you on the show. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm excited about this. Oh, me too. I, I love the book and thinking about your own journey in this. And as I was thinking about prioritization, one of the stories that made me smile is a story you tell about your son in these two toy boats that he has and uses in the bathtub. And I thought it was just a great illustration for prioritization and balance. Would you mind sharing that story? <laughs> Yes. Well, I the teacher in me loves to use examples and analogies to really um, make a point stick. And I think that we have so many mixed up ideas about this word balance and life balance or work life balance. And we we feel overwhelmed by it. We feel and we've got all the analogies, juggling balls and spinning plates and walking the tightrope. And the truth is, we can do all of that and still feel out of balance. And when you have high performing individuals, when you have leaders, when you have CEOs, when you have people that have a lot of interests, the idea of juggling faster or spinning the plates more perfectly just adds to their overwhelm. It doesn't make them feel any more balanced. And so I use this analogy of the boats and my son has these two boats and one is blue and it has this platform where you can load cars on. It looks really cool. It has all these features. It's like, wow, this really awesome, big, you know, transporter boat. The only problem is the design's actually really stupid because if you get even a <laughs> drop of water on the top, the whole thing flips over and sinks. Like it is impossible to balance this boat. Well, he has this other little toy red boat and this tiny red boat does not do anything special. It's literally just a boat that floats. But what is special about it is it always floats upright. And so you can toss it, turn it, throw it. And my son does. You can even drag it to the bottom of the bathtub and it will just shoot right to the surface and flip upright again because the boat itself is balanced. And I use this analogy for people to understand that what we're pursuing here is not to have a perfect balance in our world and the facets of our life and in the seasons that we go through or the situations we find ourselves in. That is unrealistic. We live in a very, very out of balance world. And many people, depending on their season of life or their goals or their focus or their family, will feel like they are in a situation that's very out of balance. But the good news is, you can become a balanced person in an out-of-balance world. You can become a balanced person and still be busy. 
And so what I want to help you do through my book, Take Back Your Time, is show you the steps to creating balance in your life, things you can control, things that make you feel balanced, even if your world is very out of balance. And I love that analogy of the boats because I think sometimes we're pursuing the wrong thing when we're pursuing balance. And I want to help you pursue the right version of balance that um, looks a whole lot more like confidence in your choices, being happy with how you spend your time, actually enjoying your life. Because I think when we seek balance, that's what we're really after anyway. Oh, thank you so much for sharing that. You know, so many leaders struggle with prioritization. And as I think about the kind of folks that you work with, uh, women in particular who are starting businesses, and then if I think about a lot of the folks in our audience who uh, are uh, many of them working in established organizations, the interesting thing I tend to run into is prioritization for many of the folks in our audience seems to be a bit of a I guess I would say a gradual realization. You know, they get to a point in their career where they're a manager, senior manager, director, and they'll have a conversation with me or someone else, and they'll say, you know, I kind of am, I'm, I'm waiting to see what the organization's going to do, and we sort of realize they're not really prioritizing. They're waiting for someone else to do it, or they're waiting mm. for the organization to make those decisions. And one thing I think that's really different about entrepreneurs is that. That need to prioritize is immediate when you start. It is right in your face. And yeah. I'm I'm wondering what the the biggest struggle you see with business leaders, especially when they're early on in a venture, is around prioritization. Yes. I'm so glad you asked this because I do think that there are several common barriers to prioritizing and and there there can be themes depending on the demographic you're talking about. So let me give you one quick example of women. Women in general struggle to prioritize because what they do instead is they treat everything as if it's created equal. So I've got to pay bills. I've got to work out. I've got to reorganize my attic. I've got to make homemade cookies for everyone in the neighborhood. And I have to go to the dentist and I have to go to this meeting and I have to pick up all the toys in the yard. Mm. Okay. All those things are not created equal, <laughs> right? but we list them as if they are. So then when push comes to shove and it's time to make a decision or some things don't make the cut because our list is always longer than we have time for, we feel anxious and we feel like we're a failure. That's very common to women in general. Now, entrepreneurs and business leaders, here's what they get caught up in. They get caught up in the tyranny of the urgent. So their biggest problem is not putting everything on an equal playing field necessarily. What happens is they are the, it's, it's, and this is typical entrepreneur, it's squirrel, squirrel, whatever's in my face, whatever, whoever's the loudest, whoever is the neediest, whoever has the biggest problem, biggest guilt trip, the biggest fire I need to put out. And what happens there, and Stephen Covey talks about this when he talks about the quadrants of urgency versus importance. Oh, yeah. We get so distracted by the urgent that we don't leave any time for the important. And so we work really hard and we react really fast and we are amazing at being the hero to show up and save the day for that urgent thing. And we never ask ourselves if that's even anything worth doing. And so we fill our time, our to-do list and our calendars with a bunch of crap that's loud, but not necessarily moving us in the direction we want to go. And we all think, oh, I don't have enough time. I don't have enough time. Women think this. Business leaders think this. Women that are business leaders think this. Parents, nope. You know, parents, people that don't have kids, it doesn't matter. We all think, oh, I don't have enough time. Listen, we actually have enough time for the important things. The problem is we have no idea what's important. Mm. So we either treat everything as, as if it's important or we only focus on the urgent, mistaking that for importance. And just because something is loud does not mean it's important. Just because it's in your face does not mean it's important. 
I think my favorite line in the book is this one. You write, when most people think of priorities, they think of something that is static and set in stone. For example, someone might say, my priorities are God, family, others, and self in that order. That's a nice Sunday school answer, but it's not at all helpful for real life time management. And when I read that, I thought, you know, I have heard that a lot. And I think a lot of us do espouse that, of course, on the big picture. But you also make a distinction between fixed and flexible priorities. Tell me about that distinction. Well, this is huge. You need two sets of priorities. And let's unpack these really quickly. The one set you probably already have, that's what that sweet little old lady was referring to in her Sunday school answer. You have one set of fixed, concrete, permanent priorities, most, mostly permanent probably. And that looks like what matters most to you if all hell breaks loose? If push comes to shove and the world falls apart, my kids matter more than my work. Yes. Yes, they do. Right? Most of us don't live in a doomsday scenario all day, every day. Thank goodness that we don't. So we don't, that, that does not help us operate our lives in a practical, current, relevant, season-specific way. Mm. So in addition to your fixed priorities that are set in stone for the most part, and this is how you run your life if push comes to shove, you need another set of priorities, and I call these flexible priorities. These priorities are more specific, more current, more relevant to the season and situation that you're in. And I give in the book, when I walk you through how to do this, I give you three timeframes, but you can do this by any timeframe that that makes sense to you. But the three that I focus on on the book are priorities for your season, priorities for your week, and priorities for your day. So your season would be just kind of what's going on right now. Are you in a busy season at work? Are you in a season where one of your children is really struggling at home? Are you in a season where you're facing a health issue or recovering from a surgery that you need to to take care of yourself in this season? A season can be a few weeks. It can be a few months. It can last even longer than that. But if we don't consider the season we're in, then we can never let it inform our priorities. And it should. Your season will dictate what is important to you. Listen, Dave, what was important to me when I was 16 was who I was going to ride to the football game with on Friday night. What was important to me in my 20s was building my career. What was important to me when I had just had my first son, Carter, was figuring out how to be a new mom to a newborn and getting a little bit of sleep if I could. What's important to me this this past summer was going to the lake and playing with my kids as much as possible because I knew that when this fall came and I was launching this book, what would be most important this fall is launching this book, traveling, speaking, working long days. So when we consider the season we're in and what's going on in that season, and I encourage people to look at the main areas of your life that consume your time, your work, your family, your health, any other interest that takes up a lot of time. Maybe you have a side business or a big goal, you're training for a marathon. Look at these main buckets and let them inform what your priorities are in this season. And then you list them out, your top three to five for the season, and they are very, very specific. So for example, my priority for the spring, one of my top priorities that, priorities that I wrote down was getting my children to swim. I have a four-year-old and a six-year-old. We're around water all the time. We had tried last year with COVID. We had a lot of false starts. I said, this is the year we're going to get them to swim. So I didn't just put on my top priorities, family. Okay, what about family? You can do a lot of things with family. I said, I want my kids to swim. So then that determined how I managed my calendar because every Friday I took them to the pool to practice swimming. And in the summer, I signed them up for swim lessons. And now I'm happy to report, Dave, that both of my boys are swimming like fish. Yay. But it didn't happen accidentally. 
I didn't just wake up in September with these great swimmers. It's because I decided in February that my priority for the spring was getting my children to swim. See how specific that is, how current that is, how relevant that is to my season and what was going on. Even the season of the year, the summer's coming up, we're going to be around the pool. So you can do this with any area of your life, but here's what's so beautiful about creating priorities that are specific to your season. And you can get even more granular from there in a given week. You know, maybe right now I'm, I'm in book season and it's really busy, but there's a specific week, like, like two weeks ago, I was back to school for my boys. So I didn't work as much and I, I missed some things and took off work to go to all the parent meetings and open houses and school tours and all that. So within a week, it might look a little different because you've got more specific priorities for that week. And then even within a given day, okay, well, the priorities for this week are X, Y, Z, but today it might look a little different. So at the beginning of each day, at the beginning of each week, at the beginning of each season, you just begin to ask yourself, what is most important? Another way that I word it, which is so helpful, I think is what's right right now. Mm. The thesis of my whole book is doing the right things at the right time. When you do the right things at the right time, you will feel that sense of balance you've been looking for, but you need to know what the right things are. And it starts by just asking yourself, what's right this season? What's right this week? What's most important to me this week? What's most important today? If I get nothing else done today, what do I want to get done? When you think of that and then take the next step to just simply write it down, I don't care if you write it on a sticky note or a napkin or in your planner, on your phone app. When you write it down, you begin to direct your thoughts toward it and you begin to act in line with that. And then you truly are doing what's most important. But the great part of this message, Dave, that I think is so freeing for your busy business leaders and entrepreneurs that walk around feeling guilty all the time is when you work a 14-hour day, a 16-hour day, and it's the right thing on that day. You no longer have to go home at the end of the day feeling like a failure, like you're a bad mom, bad dad. You hate your kids. You don't hate your kids. The priority for today is to do this work. And I did this work and I'm going to recognize that, acknowledge it and be proud of it because I'm doing the right things at the right time. My priorities shift and they reflect what's most important right now. And that, that's a really freeing message when you begin to embrace it and live from it. Mm-hmm. Oh, indeed. The word that I'm thinking about that you've said a couple of times is being flexible. Mm-hmm. And I think when I think about the struggles that folks often have with priorities, it seems like there are a couple of extremes. On one hand, uh, there's the, I, I love the description of the entrepreneurs, like everything's in their face, it's everything's urgent. Mm-hmm. And then on the other side, there's this rigidity, I think, would be the best way to describe it, of folks who've who've learned the process of, hey, I need to have my annual plan, and I need to plan out 12 months and know exactly what I'm doing, and I need to follow the annual plan. And the, of course, it never works that way because a year is a really long time, and they really struggle then when something changes, and then that plan just kind of goes out the door. And what I hear you inviting us to do is this word season and Mm -hmm. thinking about that not being a rigid time frame necessarily, but it being what's right for you. And when you invite entrepreneurs, especially, to think about this in the in the framework of season, what's helpful for them to get out of that legalistic thinking on exactly what the time frame is and to start thinking about it of what's really going to work for them and their families and their careers? Yeah, I guess the way that I would summarize that, and that's such a great question and a great point, a really good insight for your audience, because you're exactly right. I work with entrepreneurs every day and I am one, by the way. So I get the way that we're wired. I think it comes down to this. You need a plan 
and you need to be willing to adjust your plan as needed. So your plan is going to have some intention to it. We're not just going to float through the week and see what happens. You're not going to get the right things done if you do that. You're going to be at the mercy of whoever's the loudest and whatever's in your face. So you need a plan. Here's my plan for the week. I'm going to get these things done. I'm going to show up for these things. These things are most important. But then there's a willingness, a common sense discernment that if something crosses your path, you begin to check it against this litmus test of what's right right now. And if it is right, and it is more important than what you're doing, you're willing to adjust. Let me give you a super extreme example. Um, several years ago, so my son Conley, he's my second child. He um, uh, was two, almost two. And my husband and I were on our way to Alabama. We were hosting a big work event down there for all of my team. We have a lake house down there. I was going to have my team down there and do a fun day at the lake and you know all that kind of stuff. So we'd gotten food from Costco, gotten childcare, like we're on our way to the lake. And we were going to take my, my kids to uh, my in-law's house, which is down near our lake house. Well, on the way, my son Conley started having these seizure-like episodes. It wasn't a seizure, but it would like, he would just kind of like glaze over, oh, you no. know, enough where it was concerning, but not like panic attack. I mean, not like we were panicking, but he had had some of those instances the week before and the doctor told us just to watch it. So I, I videoed him and sent it to the doctor and they said, you need to go to the ER right now. Well, that's an extreme example. But in that moment, everything shifted. We went to the ER. He ended up getting checked into Vanderbilt. We were at Vanderbilt for three days, including across his second birthday. And we had to cancel his birthday party. Now I use that extreme example to make the point. Things can change. You have to be willing to change. Suddenly the all hell breaks loose priorities came into play. And my kids are more important than my work. My kids are more important than birthday party. My kids are more important than anything. Right. But let's use, let's, let's talk about that on like a, uh, let's use a work example. So let's say that, you know, someone, let's say that a man, you know, he leads a team, leads a small business, and they've got some really fun new marketing things they're working on this week. They're planning ahead for Christmas, planning ahead for fourth quarter. They've got some great strategy sessions planned. And in the middle of their week, their biggest client has a crisis and is going to pull out and pull their business because of some problem that they had. Well, you obviously pivot. Your new priority is this big client, not because it's just the loudest, but because it's a big client, they have a major problem, they're going to pull their business out. You have to have discernment in the moment to go, is this more important than what I'm doing? And here's the great news for leaders or or for people in any area of life. When you have a plan, it shows you what you need to do and when you need to do it. And that plan we're talking about is priorities here. But when you're willing to adjust your plan, then you're always doing the right things at the right time. You're not falling in that camp of being so rigid that you don't have the common sense discernment to change your path and priorities when needed, but you also aren't just floating around aimlessly, hoping that the right things get done. The question you can ask yourself at the beginning of every day is what's right right now? What's right right now? What's right today? What's right right now? And when you ask yourself that, then you're not asking what's good right now, what's fun right now, what's loud right now, what is the biggest headache right now? What's right? Meaning, what is important? And when you ask yourself that, you come up with a very different answer than if you ask yourself all those other questions of, is it loud? Is it, does it need me? Is it a fire to put out? Is it, you know, because you get all kinds of fires that are other people's problems. And so I think asking yourself what's right right now gives you that permission to change your plans, change your priorities and change your focus, which is not weakness. It's not a cop-out. It's actually wisdom that you are leading in real time and always doing what's right at the right time. Yeah, indeed. And and I'm thinking about that comment on leading in real time, what's right right now, 
And one of the other timeframes that you really invite us to look at, which is priorities for the week. And this Mm -hmm. seems to me, both when I do it regularly, although occasionally I skip it and it makes a big difference. And I notice that with clients too, like those that have taken the time to, whether it's on a Monday morning or Sunday evening or the Friday before, to actually plan out what are the most important things for this week. It is night and day the difference of how not only productive, but how good you feel about it in being able to be successful. And yet so many people don't have that habit. And I'm wondering, when you invite people to begin that, what's helpful for them to get into the habit of planning out priorities for a week? Well, I think, first of all, how you think about it. Because if you think of it as some restrictive habit that just is one more thing you have to do, then you're not going to want to do it. But I'm going to, I'm going to appeal to all my entrepreneurs here and business leaders and say, listen, this is something that gives you more control. And I know you love control. So this is, <laughs> this is one way for you to be that much more in control. And it's, I laugh about it, but I mean, we, we all have a little bit of control freak in our nature. And so when I start my day, and I plan my day or start my week and I plan my week. And I think both are important, by the way. Every Sunday night, I sit down with my husband and I say, hey, what have you got going on this week? Here's what I've got going on this week. And I plan my week. Here's what I want to get done most at work. Here's what I want to get done most in life. And I set that, that plan, those priorities for the week. But then I still do it every day. And here's why. Because if I plan my whole week on Sunday, then when my things change in my week, and they will, they always do then I hold my feet to the fire for the plans that I made on Sunday. And I feel guilty when I fall short. I shouldn't feel guilty. I should change my plans if the week changes. So for example, I will set my plans and my priorities for the whole week on Sunday night. And then at the beginning of every day, I say, okay, what's most important today? And so when I do that, I check in with myself and say, how am I feeling? How is my energy? What is my focus? What's going on in my world? Well, then on Thursday, if my energy has completely drained and I'm exhausted and I've got a million things on my mind, I'm not going to pile the tasks on my to-do list and fill up my calendar that day. Just simply checking in with myself and going, hey, what's right today helps me, again, like we said, lead in real time and do the right things at the right time versus hold my feet to the fire from you know, all the plans I made when I was rested and bright-eyed and bushy-tailed on Sunday. Yeah. And so you set the priorities at the beginning of the week, but then you still do it every single day so that you're doing the right things at the right time. But it does give you this great sense of control because here's what I found. There are people walking around all day, every day, feeling like they're failing, feeling like they're falling short, feeling like they are, they dropped the ball at work and they're a bad mom or dad to their kids or a bad spouse. And what's interesting is they're actually not, they're not failing. They're just not paying attention to where they're succeeding. They're paying attention to where they're falling short. So they work really hard all day, but because they didn't, they don't know if they did what they were supposed to do. At the end of the day, they're like, man, I'm so tired. I don't even know what I have to show for it. Or, or they set a to-do list of 50 things, they get 47 done. And like, man, I didn't, I didn't get those three done. Mm. Or they run around to all these meetings and appointments that other people put on their calendar that they felt like they had no say in, which they did, but they felt like they had no say in. At the end of the day, they just feel like a victim to their schedules. If you feel like a victim to your schedule and a failure to do, to-do list, I just want to remind you, the person in charge of your calendar and your to-do list is you. Yeah. Anything on your calendar is something you put there or something you allowed to be there. Anything on your to-do list is something you put there. You're not a victim to your calendar, to your to-do list in your life. And so take back control 
at the beginning of your day, decide what you want your day to look like and then make those things happen. And yes, there are always things we have to do like pay taxes and change diapers that none of us want to do. But aside from those few things, we are more in control than we realize. That's why I love the title of the book because it's so active. Take back your time. It's Uh yours. You already have the control. You just have to act like it. You've hit on something that I think is so big and maybe is even in a way more significant than the productivity itself. It's the psychology behind it and feeling successful. And I'm thinking about what you just said. And my wife and I are really blessed in our work that we, you know, when one of us gets busy, oftentimes the other person isn't. And so we can kind of adapt and we do something similar that you and Matt do as far as just coordinating schedules. But there are, there's about two weeks a year and we're in the middle of the two weeks while we're recording this that we both have professional obligations that just overlap in a way that is not healthy. And Mm -hmm. we both know that about each other and our work. And this past weekend, we both worked a bunch, which is unusual for both of us to be doing that. And the kids did not get much attention, (laughs) and they were on screens more than they should be uh, in Mm -hmm. normal times. And yet, because we prioritize in advance and we discuss, okay, this is just a week, a season, if you will, where we're not balanced well. We both got to the end of that time and uh, we were tired and yes, all those other things, but we didn't have the guilt. And we got to the end of the day and the end of the weekend thinking like, okay, this was success today. And I think that's the thing that that folks who haven't ever done this as a practice of thinking about what's success for this week and what's success today is you get to the end of the day and you've decided in advance what's important and then you can check those things off your list. The psychological feeling of actually having success is huge. It's just such a big difference than running around feeling like a failure all the time. Yes. And I think that that is why I didn't want to just talk about how to manage your calendar in this book. That's why I love the tagline, the guilt-free guide to life balance, because I want to get to the issue behind the issue. And the is- this is not a calendar issue. This is about enjoying the life that the calendar represents. It's about helping you understand the root causes of what, what makes you feel bad, as you might say, out of balance, and fixing them at the root level so that they don't creep up. Because if we If we just move around the puzzle pieces of your calendar, those core issues are going to creep up again and again. And so I would say on your weekend that you worked like crazy, I would say you were balanced because you were doing the right things at the right time. But I think that's the pressure we feel, Dave. We feel like we have to do everything all the time. We have to do everything for an equal amount of time. And if that's how you think you're supposed to live your life, of course you feel like a failure because that is completely unrealistic. It's not even desirable. And so what happens is, we have a day or we have a weekend where we work like crazy and we assess ourselves on our parenting that week or that weekend. We say, well, I'm failing. (laughs) Or we have a week where we go on vacation and we play with the kids nonstop and we're awesome. And then we assess ourselves how we're doing at work and we feel like we're failing. So we're always assessing ourselves based on what we're not doing. Or the way I say it in the book is a lot of my guilt came from always focusing on where I was not. When I was at home, I was thinking about my, my work. When I was at work, I was thinking about my kids. I was always focused on where it's not. If you live your whole life always focused on where you're not and what you're not doing, then of course you feel guilty. But I just want to go ahead and acknowledge that no one listening to a personal development and leadership podcast is sitting around on the couch eating Cheetos all day, binge watching Netflix. (laughs) You're doing something. So freaking be proud of what you're doing. That is balance. 
when you do the right things at the right time. But I'll tell you, one of the things that I think entrepreneurs are guilty of, and I do want to call this out because I don't want to make it seem like this is just all, you know, uh, smooth sailing for them. One of the things that is a challenge, and I'm so guilty of this, is entrepreneurs and business leaders, we are addicted to productivity. We are addicted to the metrics of success we receive at work that are not available at home, by the way. There are no metrics for success for meaningful relationships. There's no bottom line for quality time. So since we can't measure our progress there in our life, it becomes really easy for the business or our career to be the only sole source of our identity. We're like, oh, no, 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 it's not. I'm like, okay, how long have you been working? 16-hour days for two decades. Okay, that's not a season. Two decades is not a season. Yeah. So that's, again, I want to dig to the, dig down deeper in the issue below the issue. What's going on in you? What's going on in you that won't let you rest? Mm. Where you feel like you are your productivity. And if you're not productive, then you're worthless. I want to dig into the psychology and the motivations that keep you at the office where you don't, where you drag your feet and don't want to go home. What's going on there? Because that's not about a calendar. At that point, it's a choice. And so, yes, we all have seasons. I'm in a season of working like crazy because I'm launching a book, but it's a season, meaning it has a start date and an end date. It's not a lifetime. And so for all my entrepreneurs to say, oh, I'm in a busy season, and their spouse would say, this season has lasted two decades. Yeah. That's no longer a season. Now, sure, it can last up into the years. You know, If you're getting your business off the ground, it can take two, three years of working your behind off. I get that. But it still needs to have a point at which you begin to have other things in your life that are important to you, not just the business. How you spend your time is how you spend your life. And I just think we're going to get to the end and wish that we actually spend it on the right things. I'm so glad you said that. And that's that's the thing that's been the unexpected but real real joy of prioritizing each day for me and, and going through yeah. that practice is I get to the end of the day. And when I've checked off those two or three things, or at least gotten most of the way there, I am able to then ironically, turn it off easier and mm-hmm. be present to be a better parent and to do the other things. Because I'm not thinking about like, oh, gosh, I didn't get anything done today. I decided in advance what was important. And even if it didn't happen, I at least know what what was there. And I find it so much easier then to actually then turn that part off, which I think for a lot of us as leaders is really hard. And then to enter into a place of, okay, I'm going to take some time to do recreation or spend time with the kids or spend time with Bonnie, whatever. Um, and and that is taking that little bit of time, five minutes usually most days, is huge on my psychology for then being able to disconnect. It is. And it's interesting too, because the fact that you set your intention, you set your priorities for what that day is, keeps you from the temptation of saying, I will rest when it's all done. Because it's never all done. Right. Especially in business. It's never all done. It's never even done with all done at my house. My kids are going behind me, messing up my house faster than I can clean. It's never all done. So I just decide like, what do I need to get done to be done? I'm going to decide what finished is. And it's not when it's all done because the opportunities and needs and demands of this world will always exceed our ability to meet them in the time that we have for them. And so I think that that, that is such a great insight of when helping people understands when you set your priorities, you're going to decide what is important. And when you get those things done, you're going to stop because you're not going to do everything. And it and, and gives you a a finish line, a a point to say, this is finished, this work is done, and I'm going to be home and be present. But I think one of the things that perpetuates this problem, especially in the entrepreneur and, and business leader world, is we, man, we glorify 
busyness. We glorify the the long hours and oh man, just put it, you know, 80 hour work. We like, we just glorify it. We commend it. We give him a look how dedicated he is. Look how, you know, that's what it takes. Like, and, and the more we glorify it. So then we get this belief back to the psychology. We get this belief that, wow, I'm just so determined. I'm so hardworking. I'm so dedicated. And we take on this very positive identity that's associated with a very dangerous and unhealthy negative lifestyle. And so what I challenge leaders is this, yes, it takes strength and grit and determination and willpower to come early and stay late and work your tail off in between. But it actually takes more courage, more strength and more willpower to stop, to walk out the door at five o'clock, to put your phone down, look your kids in the eyes, take a vacation and rest and know that you are enough outside of your work, that you have the confidence to take a vacation and not excuse it or apologize or make fun of it, where you have the confidence to actually have a life and not feel scared that you're losing your sense of self outside of, outside of your work. And I, I just, I want to reframe the positive attributes we associate with this burnout lifestyle and say, listen, it takes more courage to stop. Do you have that level of courage? Cause that's what I want to see. One of the things I really appreciate about the book and your work is that you share your own struggles and your own journey along the way. And uh, as you've been working on this book and are bringing it into the world now, I'm curious, if you look back over the last year or two, what's something that you've changed your mind on? I don't know that I had this light bulb moment, but I think it's been a gradual changing of my mind. I think that I had an idea in my head of what a good mom was, you know, years ago. I think I had in my head a good mom, you know, has monogram smocked matching outfits for her kids on Christmas and she volunteers for all the PTA stuff and she feeds her kids organic food cut up in the shape of such stars. <laughs> 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 all these things that are just asinine when you think of them really, but are perpetuated again on Pinterest and Instagram and reinforce that pressure. But I think I had this idea that I had to look like someone else to be a good mom. And I think in my own journey of motherhood, and, and I would say this is true here at work as well, I'm figuring out that me, I'm a good mom. I, I'm, I'm my own version of good mom. And that might look different. It might look like I pick up, pick up chick, chips and salsa for the potluck. <laughs> and it might look like I have help. And it might look like that I am getting dirty with my kids instead of cleaning up the messes that my kids made. And it just looks different than I see on social media. And it's taken as silly as it sounds and as simple as it sounds, it's taken me a while to, to claim confidence in that and know that I don't have to look like other speakers. I don't have to look like other authors. I don't, I don't have to look like other moms. I can look like me. You know, I, I started seminary this summer and I was so intimidated taking these graduate level courses in theology when, I mean, I, I don't have any Bible training whatsoever. And then I felt this pressure to write like them, sound like them, talk like them. And I thought, no, just gonna write like me and talk like me. And I'm going to learn the stuff, but I'm still going to be me. And so it's a little bit of resisting the pressure of the culture to be some standard version of success that I guess I feel like I don't somehow perfectly match, but instead realize that me being me is, is my version of success. And that's the only version that matters anyway. Christy Wright is the author of Take Back Your Time, The Guilt-Free Guide to Life Balance. Christy, thank you so much for all you're doing for entrepreneurs and for leaders. Thank you for having me, Dave. Thanks for what you do. I appreciate, I appreciate this so much.
If you found this conversation helpful, several related episodes I'd recommend. One of them is episode 319, The Way to Stop Spinning Your Wheels on Planning. You heard the word season come up in this conversation a bunch. And uh, years ago, I stumbled across a book called The 12-Week Year, and it is a wonderful encouragement to rather than look at planning from an entire year, which is what a lot of us tend to do in our own lives and organizations, to actually begin to look at planning in a much shorter interval, a season, if you will, 90 days. Uh, or 12 weeks, whichever you prefer. And I have really captured the spirit of that in most of my planning uh, since I stumbled across that book a number of years ago. In episode 319, I walk through the details of exactly how I do that and the systems I use in order to make that a practical reality. Details there if you want to dive in and kind of get a sense of how that works tactically. Uh, Speaking of tactics, uh, once you know what your priorities are and you've done some of that planning, both through a season and through a week and through a day, a calendar is a wonderful next step tactically to be able to execute on those priorities. On episode 431, I welcomed Nir Eyal. We talked about how to align your calendar to what matters. It is probably the single most useful app that I use in my life on productivity. It is my calendar. Episode 431, uh, Nir and I talk about how both of us use calendars in order to align what really matters and to make sure we're focused on the most important things in our own lives and careers. And then finally, so much about prioritizing and the relationships and the things that are most important to us is all about being present. In episode 511, I welcome Dave Crenshaw. We talked about how to be present. So many of you found that conversation useful and some of the key tactics from Dave on inside those conversations, in those moments when we really want to be present for others and need to be present for others, how to do that in the moment so we can really have the relationships that we want and give the attention to the people who are most important to us, both personally and professionally. Again, episode 511 for that. All of these episodes you can find on the coachingforleaders.com website. One of the categories that we have episodes filed under is productivity, also personal leadership. This episode's going to be filed under both. And if you'd like to search the entire library by topic since we began airing the show in 2011, just set up your free membership at Coach coachingforleaders.com. That will give you access to the entire listening library, searchable by topic. Plus, it'll give you access to all of my interview notes, all of the free audio courses up on the site, plus access to my weekly leadership guide that comes out each week with resources, the episode notes, and also tons of other articles, podcasts, videos I've been finding for you that I think will be useful to you for your ongoing leadership development between the episodes. All of that you can access at coachingforleaders.com. Set up your free membership and you will be off and running in just a few moments. Next week, I'm so glad to welcome Constance Locke to the show. She is a professor at the London School of Economics. She is joining me to discuss a topic that comes up for many of us, how to speak up more effectively in interactions and conversations. I know that's been a challenge for a number of us in our careers, and I know for many of you, It's a challenge to help employees to get better at speaking up details and a lot of tactics on how to do that next week. Have a great week and see you on Monday.